It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, and each episode I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies. From classics to modern hits. My guest today is Dave Giannini. How are you? I'm doing great. You pronounced that very well. I'm very impressed. Thank you. <laughs> well, I just did Moonstruck a little while ago, so I'm still having that like <laughs> Italian. Oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's, how's it going today? Uh, everything's going great. I'm, a, I'm very excited to talk about the movie we were talking about because you foolishly let me choose the movies. What, <laughs> what romantic comedy do you want? So I was like, oh, I have, I have the power to, to schedule your show now. This is great. Well, you know what? It's better for me because I hate having to pick anything. <laughs> <So I'm> like, <laughs> this I works out perfectly. The work, and then I just, yeah. Yes. Uh, but why don't you introduce the film that you've saddled us with today? <laughs> Yes, um, I have chosen 1995's French Kiss, uh, starring, of course, Meg Ryan, who's in every romantic comedy known to man, and Kevin Kline. Yeah, so this is the second Meg Ryan movie that I've covered. Uh, I did You've Got Mail in like the mm-hmm. premiere episode of this podcast, and a yeah. uh, huge fan of hers. I think she's great. I wish she would come back. I mean, I feel like she's living her best life, so... Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I do miss her, and like watching this movie, I really was like, "Wow, like she is such a talent in this." I mean, I think she's talented in general, of course, but like in this kind of movie, she's like aces. I think it's weird. I think of her in the same vein that I think of Keanu Reeves, where yeah. for years. You know, you may not know it to go online now, but for years, Keanu Reeves was not thought of as a great actor. Um, but he is very good in his niche. And the same thing with Meg Ryan here. She is – I'd be hard-pressed to come up with anyone better to be in a romantic comedy. I think it's perfect that you started your podcast, a romantic comedy podcast, with the Meg Ryan movie. Because where else do you start? I mean, she is the queen of this genre. Like, I just associate the, like – you know, late eighties to like late nineties with like romantic comedies. That's like the boom yes. that happened. And like because she reigned supreme, it's like not just, I mean this, when Harry met Sally, you've got Mail, Sips in Seattle, like all these yeah. Kate and Leopold. <laughs> I mean I think yes. that was a little later, but um like yeah, she just I just associate the genre with her and this especially this like very specific like kind of romantic comedy you know it's like mm. we don't they, like they weren't really made like before this and they're not really made like this now it's just like a very like i don't know i've been trying to figure out a way to articulate it because i'm finding it hard to like like delineate what exactly i mean by like this specific but it's i think it's like the 90s and like kind of like high concept but like very like laid back and like very yeah. like neurotic and like crazy i guess yeah it's interesting in this movie in particular it is very high concept for romantic comedy because usually 
romantic comedy like kind of starts out in the same location and ends in the same location, right? Like right. these two people happen up, upon each other and, you know, they didn't know – like if you think about things like You've Got Mail, like they were in the same city for that whole time even though they didn't know it, right? But this is like she has to go on a literal and figurative journey – to end up meeting this man that she loves, right? So it starts off, I, I think, in, in Canada somewhere, you know, which it could have been filmed anywhere. But then the majority of the movie takes place either on a plane or in France. So it's very different in that way where usually these characters go on an internal journey and this is more of an external journey to get them to the place they need to be. That's a really good point. I mean, I, I like the idea of someone who wants to be rooted and have stability having to go on this kind of like a wild goose chase almost just like always on the run taking like various forms of travel and like finding herself in like new um like new situations new surroundings and having to like i think probably for the first time in her life just like survive by like you know her wits and her yeah um, her abilities and like really testing herself and then, like, she gets rewarded by getting what she wants, which is to have literal roots because she's owns yes. vineyard. Yes. And um, then she gets to enjoy that with someone who actually like loves and respects her. I think it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I, it's interesting you bring that up because, like, our main character Kate um, is with Charlie, played by Timothy Hutton in the beginning of this movie, and the, her whole thing is like. Not only staying in one place, like this whole, like, how can you not want to go to Paris? And, of course, it's framed to make her blameless, right? So you have this fear of flying. So it's like that's why she can't go. But I think it's I think it's actually deeper than that. It's not just about the plane. Like, her whole character is someone who is completely risk-averse, right? She she talks later in the movie about, like, the one time that she did, that she did pot, and it was, like, the nightmare experience of her life, right? The reason that yeah. it's going to come back to bite her. And her whole goal at the beginning of this movie, I mean, let's be real, she has been lying to her soon-to-be husband, to Charlie, and, like, squirreling away money and creating this nest egg to have a home together. That is, like, her biggest goal. Like, she has no interest in going out and seeing the world, even though she's a history teacher. She has no interest in taking risks and meeting someone who could who could really push her. Her whole thing is to be kind of cloistered and protected. So that journey is really powerful for this character by the end of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting. Like, you say that she's, like, hiding money from her... Fiance, which I think is an interesting way to phrase it because, like, in the movie, you're right. Like, she seems so, like, I mean, of course, with her being like a, a heroine, you know, we're not supposed to, like, think of that as, like, a messed up thing to do, but, like, kind of is. Right. Like, she's basically planning her his whole future, and it's like he's a jerk in a lot of ways, but, like, I think when they're in the car looking at the house in the beginning, and he's kind of like. <laughs> Panic. <laughs> yeah, he's panicked, and, like, I was thinking about it, like, today. Because, like, in the movie, I'm like, what is this guy? Like, who's this jerk? Like, why does he not want to, like, spend the rest of his life in this, like, pretty house with Meg Ryan? Like, it seems ridiculous. <laughs> but think about it today. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he just... I can kind of understand his panic because, like, 
basically he's look they're like they're looking at like an old couple through the window of their house and it's basically right. them. And it's like scary to think about, you know. Yeah, I mean he even I mean, you know, you can you can look at romantic comedies in a number of ways and one of the things they do is they don't they don't hide much, right? Like a right. lot of it is sometimes they could be accused of telling, not showing, because a point has to come across very quickly to a broad range of audience members. And he literally says you know, my life is flashing before my eyes and I, and we haven't even had kids yet, you know, yeah. and that's, that's really where he's at. So I think you can forgive that moment. What you can't forgive though, is the whole like flying off to Paris and falling in love with Juliet and, you know, essentially breaking up with your soon to be wife over the phone. That's really not cool. <laughs> that part you can't really forget. That is like, so like, it's so, oh my God, I just, this, I like, um, so of course I, I'd seen this movie before. Um, I used to watch it when it came on like TV a lot, mm-hmm. and um, I but I forgot just like how fast that is. Like for some reason I oh, yeah. I had, in my memory it's like fifteen I minutes. That, like, like he had been away for like months, <laughs> right? I guess and just but yeah, he met her for a day goes back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, I was wondering, um, what do you remember the first time you saw it, and like, why does it speak to you so much? Do you like want to revisit it? Um, so I am old enough to have seen this in the theater. Um, so I saw it in the theater when it first premiered, um, and for two reasons: one, because you know it's a Meg Ryan romantic comedy. Sign me up. That's that's an easy sell, and it has Kevin Klein, who I he's one of those actors that even when he's in bad movies, I will. I will put my money down to see it. I just find him effortlessly charming, uh, and he is an actor that I just enjoy watching. Kind of ever ever since seeing stuff like A Fish Called Wanda, I was like, oh, this is yep. this is who I want to see on screen. Um, and then saw it and kind of fell in love with it um, and have always liked the idea of movies with with romance stories that are not straightforward – that are complicated. He is by no means a perfect person. She is by no means a perfect person. Uh, and it's all about kind of finding someone to push you, to to match you. And it doesn't mean you're the same. It just means you're complementary. Uh, and I think the movie does a lot of hard work to make them complimentary throughout the runtime because when you first meet these two you're like okay and of course this is the ultimate rom-com trope you meet the two people and there's no way they should ever be together like that is in every romantic comedy that's ever been written but the great ones convince you by the end that actually these two are really really good for one another like there's a scene later in the movie where he is showing her this kit that he that he had built when he was a kid to help with wine tasting and it is the sweetest most romantic moment they don't need to kiss they don't need to make out you can just you feel everything in that moment because it's the first time probably in decades that this man has been genuine with a woman and shared his past with her because usually is all bravado and all over the top and all you know he's a professional thief and he right. uses women and this is someone who has gotten past his defenses just by being herself not by being you know the stereotype of what a woman is supposed to be or what he would want out of a woman but just by being herself and he can't quite shake her and i love that it really works for me yeah their dynamic is so fascinating and because of his kind of like edge because I mean Kevin Klein like I don't know I guess I know I'm not that familiar with him as an actor so like I only know him through his like kind of later roles um mm. mm-hmm. 
Uh, and of course, I've seen um, I've seen the Ice Storm, and I've seen uh, Wild Wild West, which like barely counts. <laughs> uh, let's and, not. Like, let's not talk about that. But like, I haven't seen like In and Out, and I haven't <sighs> seen um, I haven't seen a fish called Wanda. Like all these like his classic movies. I don't really know if like this performance is like a major departure for him, or is it? in line it's, with his like on screen like persona. Mm, it's he's a little bit tough to capture because he kind of does especially early in his career like up through kind of the mid 90s. Also you forgot the film he did that is my namesake, Dave, which is also fantastic. Um but he either plays these kind of over the top comedic characters like this, like a fish called Wanda, uh, a little bit of in and out or he's really great at playing the everyman. And I think sometimes he hides the the silly characters either behind an accent or behind bravado uh it's very it, subtle is not a word i would use to describe his performances like it is very it's very upfront you kind of know what you're getting from the first scene like the first scene where he shows up like with this over the top ridiculous french accent you're like oh okay i know what i'm in for here like this is yeah. <laughs> this is not a character where it's going to be like oh i, I really want to get the the accent right i really want to focus here it's just like it's a it's a different kind of performance but he also does he's also done some really serious work in a lot of shakespeare like he's he's got a little bit of everything he's a little bit hard to pigeonhole yeah um, yeah, I mean, I was really, um, really impressed by his performance here. Good. Especially, I mean, like, I think his French accent was, like, a little goofy, but, like, as you mentioned, yes. I think it was... I mean, I think Kevin Klein is probably capable of doing a per- perfect French accent, and the fact that he's, like, not doing one, I think it's very intentional. Yes. Uh, because of not only the genre that he's in, but just, like, he's playing a very over-the-top character to kind of balance her very uptight... Um, type personality so i think it's like it, it fits and i was like wondering like why they didn't hire like a french actor but like honestly like i think having a having such a like um i want to say like cartoonish but i don't mean that in a bad way but like mm-hmm. having like this very like oh uh-huh, uh-huh, type accent, <laughs> yes like, yeah. it worked for me yes. like i thought it was so like charming and like yeah i really i really liked him and i'm really curious to look at his other um other performances uh, because I really found him to be quite um, quite striking on screen and together the two of them like like the first scene together on the plane I thought was just like (laughs) so like I was like it was a riveting just watching them like play off each other yeah and I think there's kind of two kind of scenes that happen on the plane with them in that in that introductory sequence and i think it's brilliant because the first half of it, of that scene is very much like oh this guy is such a jerk and she is so terrified you know like i you know, he's charming and he's funny but you're also kind of like ugh god i'm so over you and then the second half you kind of realize he has whether he means to or not he succeeded in distracting her from her anxiety and her fear to get them in the air, to get this film on the way. So it's like, it's, so you're kind of split between this kind of like, he's acting like a jerk, but also he actually accomplished something kind of nice for her, whether he tried to or not. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. I was watching it because I kind of picked up on the fact that like, he was distracting her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, of course I'd seen this before. So I knew that uh, that was going to happen, but like, I was like picking up on it and I was like, is he, I was like, how intentional is this? And, I mean, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that like he probably thought it was the best way to like get her distracted was to like rile her up because like right. that if she could focus all of her 
energy on him, then she won't be so stressed. But yeah, I mean, I guess like probably is a little bit more of a happy coincidence than I'm assuming. But he also <laughs> wanted to like get on her good side, so you could like figure out a way to drop the uh, yep. drop the stolen necklace in her bag. Yes, and that's what I love about it: that the way he chooses to distract her is still genuine to Luke's character. Yeah. Like it's still he's still out for himself, and he's still doing it in a way that's that's kind of shifty and kind of kind of cruel. Where it's like I'm just going to insult you until you scream at me, so you're distracted right. enough to let us get in the air here. Like it, so it still really fits, and that's something I really enjoy. That it's from the beginning. It's not a like, oh, he actually has a heart of gold. Like you find out pretty quickly. Like, oh yeah, yeah. he may have done that nice thing, but he's got his reasons. But even like him, like even his stealing of the necklace and like smuggling it into France. I mean, it's somewhat. It's still like selfish and like bad. But like he's he's not doing it to like make himself wealthy. He's doing it because he wants to like buy this land and like pursue his dream. Which I think it's mm-hmm. it's not good, but it's somewhat admirable or honorable. I guess it's less bad. Yeah, than, it, yeah. than it would be. Yeah, absolutely. And I I also like that you don't really get that full story until, like, the second half of the film. Because yeah. at first, like, you you know that he cares about this plant, for sure, this vine. Uh, yeah. But also when it's revealed that he's hiding this necklace in it, you're like, oh, he's just he's just using that as a, as a smuggling technique. Until you find out later that both of these things are just as important. If he doesn't have the vine, this money does him no good. Right? right, and if he doesn't have the money, he can't plant the vine. So he yeah. does. It's a nice little visual trick too of showing these things constantly together. And when they're separated, it's like his world is ending. When the when the necklace and the vine are in different places, it is like all of this is for nothing. And I really need to work, and the movie needs to work to not only bring the vine and the necklace together, but to bring Kate and Luke together because they. You know, it's kind of this nice representation that it brings along the entire runtime. Absolutely. That's a great that's a great observation. And it's something that I love about romantic comedies is when um, it's not just about, you know, the couple getting together. There's always some, like, underlying, like, thematic um, mm-hmm. arc going on. And for him, it's like his... You know, it's like what you're saying about like the plant and the necklace, and for her, it's like getting over her fear of travel and being out of her comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And for both of them, it's also about family, right? Mm-hmm. That is what she wants more than anything is to like build this life with a man she loves, and she gets that. It's not the way she expected. And his, you know, his whole emotional damage is all about his brother and all about his family. And it's interesting that he kind of loops them all together. Like, I can never go back. Everything is terrible. There's nothing for me there. And when he finally does go back, except for his brother, he's welcomed with open arms. And it's, I think it's a moment for him of realization. And it's so important that she is there to see that because before that, it's like, Oh, he's just this selfish guy, whatever. Yeah. And now she sees like, Oh, he does actually have ties and maybe there's something here. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I didn't really pick up on the theme of family, but I was just thinking that, um, she seems to have a really close relationship with her, I guess, ex future mother-in-law and ex future (laughs) sister-in-law. Yeah, and her father-in-law as well. Like she calls her uh, Timothy Hutton, Hutton's mom, mom herself, mm-hmm. which I think is curious. I mean, because like I, 
granted, like not Indian families that I've come across, I don't really recall if I know of any like like spouses who call their spouses' parents like mom and dad. But maybe that's huh. just my own. I wonder if that is an Americanized thing because I think that is a. That is a common thing when you are close with your in-laws. Like, it's always kind of a running joke in a lot of romance movies where, hey, can I call you dad? Oh, you better not. We're not that close yet. But yeah. it's something that you work towards. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever called uh, in-laws mom and dad. Um, but I could. But I think it's something that is kind of... Uh, kind of expected once you get close enough to to be married and live that life, but but it's interesting that even after uh, Charlie has dumped her in a horrific way, she's still yeah. so connected. Like there's even a moment where she's talking to her ex sister in law and be like, "Hey, can and your sister in law says like, "Hey, can you even call her that anymore? Can yeah, you call her?" Yeah. And she just screams at her like, "Ah, <laughs> it's so upsetting to her." And it you know I think maybe that's one thing the movie leaves out a little bit is like a little bit of Kate's history because really the only family members we see is the family that she's living with in Canada, which is her, you know, ex fiance's family. So it's like, you don't really get a lot of her background. For some reason, I thought that she was an orphan or at least someone Maybe. who's like, I don't know. Cause she just seems so like adrift. And like, that's why she's like yes. latching on to her in-laws and like, even like the, the running theme of like her being American and wanting to live in Canada and uh-huh. then being stuck in Paris because of like, I don't know, immigration and bureaucracy, you know, whatever. And so um, she just seems like she just has no, like, I guess, roots, you know, to uh-huh. continue with the theme. And so I, I think it's the, I guess that's why maybe I just like subconsciously thought that she was an orphan or at least someone that like didn't like literally had no one. Yeah. Because it also just—I mean—it just seems very like convoluted for her to be American and then like trying to get become a Canadian resident. That just seems like an extra like plot point that like wasn't totally. I mean, I I appreciated that it was there. I thought it was great and like very fascinating to think about. But like, it seems like a lot of like roundabout way to like get <laughs> her to like stay in. Friends. Yeah, like I, I, I have no, home. I have no proof of this, but it feels like one of those things where it's like, oh, we got a tax break for filming in Canada, so we have to mention it a couple <laughs> times. So we have to, and but we're not going to have Meg Ryan speak with a Canadian accent, so we have to figure out some way. Yeah, that she yeah. was from America, but now she's Canadian, but not really Canadian. So when she tries to go back, they won't let her, and she's stuck in France. It is super convoluted and kind of unnecessary. Um, it's one of the negatives about the movie. Uh, the yeah. only, uh, the only other negative as I watched it now is, of course, I'm very bias because i adore this movie so uh please do not come at me with a bunch bunch of negatives people on twitter because uh, i will just block you because i don't need that kind of negativity in my life <laughs> but there is a moment and it is i mentioned earlier that rom-coms tend to tell not show there's literally a moment where she is crying on the phone with her ex-sister-in-law and says i will triumph it's in all the trailers it is a very funny meg ryan moment but if you look in the background is the arc de triumph in Paris. And I'm like, guys, guys, come on. Let's just simmer down. One thing I did like, though, along those same lines is one of the only reasons she would want to go to Paris with her soon-to-be husband is to see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And there's a bunch of shots in the movie where she misses it. It's in the background because everything in her life is falling apart. And it's a nice little visual cue of, like, because of this horrible man, because of Charlie – 
you are missing out on so many good things. Not just Luke, not just spending time, but like the one reason you would have wanted to brave a horrible plane flight when you're terrified of flying is the Eiffel Tower. And look, it's right there and you just keep missing it because you're crying and penniless on the streets of France. My stomach is so sensitive. It's where I put all my stress. Oh, beautiful, gorgeous. Wish you were here. Wow. How long since you've been back? Uh, about six years. Six years? Oh, is your family a nightmare or something? You know, I don't really want to talk about it, okay? I'm a healthy person is someone who expresses what they're feeling inside. Express, not repress. <laughs> in that case, you must be one of the healthiest people in the world. Now, why shut me out? You know what happens to people who shut everybody out? They lead uh, quiet, peaceful lives? No, they fester. Fester. I am festering. Inside, fester and rot. I've seen it happen. You'll become one of those hunched back, lonely old men sitting in the corner of a crowded cafe, mumbling to yourself, my ass is twitching. You people make my ass twitch. It's the kind of thing where, like, the character has this, like, one goal, you know, and it's like, you know, her goal is to, like, get her fiancé back, but then realizing, like, as the movie goes on, that, like, she doesn't really want him back, even when she can have him back. And so the, it's like, you know, the, with, um, uh, that's kind of like her old dream, right? And just like her old dream, and was, and she's like, I'd only go to France to see the Eiffel Tower, which is like, I mean, yeah, Eiffel Tower is great, but it's like kind of the most basic thing you can do in yeah. Paris, like for sure. There's like yeah. a million, but she's, things but in, Kate's, Kate's kind of basic. Yeah. I mean, she is. She's a, you know, she's a sweet American girl living in Canada, trapped in France. Like it's. You know, it kind of, it really, it really does fit her character. And you mentioned this whole plot line of like getting him back and then deciding, you know, I actually don't want this. This is not what I want. What I love about the setup is that, of that, of course, Luke helps her, you know, because he is a, he's a thief. He's a con man. He knows exactly what to do. And I love that he does not try to turn her into this stereotypical beautiful girl, this sex pot to like rival Juliet. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, it actually, he actually instead focuses on her strengths. And it really, as you look back on the movie, it lets you know, like, actually, Luke knows her better than Charlie does already. Yeah. He knows why she's attractive. He knows why she's desirable. And it's not the supermodel standard, right? It's now how comfortable she is in her own skin and being who she is and, and kind of exploring herself and, like, not begging on her knees for Charlie to take her back. So I love that they kind of flipped all that stuff on its head. Yeah, exactly. And because I was kind of waiting for, like, there was a little bit of that where he's like, you know, you just pal and like, you know, say yes when you mean no and all that. There's a little bit of that. And like, mm-hmm. I think she took that advice to heart, but like also mm-hmm. did it, like executed it in her own way where like, it wasn't yes. so much that she was acting like Juliet or any kind of like, you know, French seductress, but more so this, like, having this, like, confidence and just being so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you were saying, comfortable in her own skin, like, it just makes, it makes her more, um, seem more, like, yeah, desirable, that, like, she's just, like, kind of living her life, she's not so obsessed with, mm-hmm. like, that house, or with Charlie, or with, like, you know, her Canadian, like, she's just, like, comfortable and free and that's i mean that's yep. always more attractive when people are like yes. 
more confident. The reason why, the reason why no one's attracted to me. <laughs> oh no. no! I'm kidding. It's time for you to have a Meg Ryan moment oh my God. and get comfortable well, you know in your what? skin. I need to it's... sit next to Kevin Klein. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, really. And I, I think it's the movie itself is very interesting because I think in general people yeah. are attracted to confidence. Um, and Luke Kevin Klein's character is ultra confident, or at least presents himself that way, right? It's, of course, hiding all this trauma and all this emotional baggage. And he gets the girl when he breaks down and admits who he is, right? That's when it starts, when he takes her back to his home and shows her how he grew up and his mistakes. And the movie kind of repeats itself with this repeated theme of him saying, I want you, right? Which is a beautiful moment when it first happens because... He's in the middle of telling her what he wants her to do to get Charlie back, yep. and you can see him just stop uh, and not be able to continue the thought and just have to change the subject because he's realizing in this moment, like, actually, this is who is right for me. This is who I want. And I love I love romantic comedies in this way that there's always these repeated lines. Like, it just – it happens in pretty much every rom-com, yeah. and this is no exception, where at the end of the movie, he says, I want you. That's it. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, romantic moment, and it kind of completes this entire journey and makes you understand everything that you have watched has brought you to this place of both of these people, not only from different parts of the world, but so incredibly different personality-wise, have found their match and found the person that wants them, and they want them too. And it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it just... Yeah, I mean, I like, I always like read the comedies where, you know, you have, like, the two opposites and they have to, like, learn to become more like each other. And so, yeah, like, I really agree with you. Like, I appreciated that, you know, he goes from, like, being, like, ultra confident to, like, more vulnerable and more, um, like, uh, more capable of being hurt. Like, I feel like he hadn't been hurt. Uh-huh. Like, the, like, when he thinks she's going back to Charlie and, um, you know, selling the necklace and everything. Like, I think he, like, by the first time that he felt, like, really heartbroken. Maybe, like, since yeah. it's, like, the whole stuff with his family. Um, yeah. And, like, I... Like, the phrase, I want you, like, really... Um, really stuck with me. Like, I felt... For one thing, it's different from saying, I love you. Which, I mean, mm-hmm. just in terms of, like, romantic comedy tropes, like... I love you is what they all say, but like I want you just feels very like um, it feels like comforting, but also like a little um, it's not sensual, but just like it's about desire too. It's it's not just about you know I I want to live with you, I want to marry you. It's like no, I I desire you and all that you are. It's not purely a sexual right. thing. It's also someone who knows you this well at this point saying I want you is huge. Yeah. And the other thing I love about that moment, he is totally heartbroken, and it would be easy for romantic comedy to go a different route here, to go like, no, don't go back to Charlie, be with me, I'm the one who loves you, I'm the one who wants you. Instead, he waits, and she comes to that herself. Yeah. Right? So she still is the person making the choice. It's not like, oh, she was wooed by this French man, and like he convinced her to not go back to Charlie. Like, no, she realized, like, actually, this isn't what I want anymore. And at the same moment, and it's a lovely kind of intercutting of scenes, he realizes that he doesn't want to be with the pouty, beautiful French girl either. 
that he wants Kate. And it's like, I think he knew that deep down before, but that was like his moment where he realized like, oh, this is actually, (laughs) I want to be with Kate. Oh, no. (laughs) And they both have to kind of figure that out till they have to again. And I love the fact that their coming together moment ends up happening on a plane, much like their introduction happened on a plane. And you can really see how he's changed in that moment. You can really see how genuine he is and he's not putting on a face and he's not mocking her and he's not being a jerk. He's just being very real in this same place where he was being very false. This movie's full of these like reversals. The one that Mm -hmm. really stuck out to me a lot is, you know, Charlie's kind of reversal from like he goes from I'm assuming he was in love with Kate at some point in his life. Here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But then he, like, switches to Juliet and switches back to Kate. And I was wondering throughout this whole movie, like, what is the deal with Juliet? Like, why does she like this dude? (laughs) Yeah, why does she like him? Like, is she, like, are they actually, like, in love? Or are they just, like, two, like, hot people who are just, like, in love with the idea of, like, having an affair? And, like, it's just, like, some, like, beautiful, like... European, like, you know, romance that's just going to, like, fizzle out after they're, like, actually living together. Like, I I, I couldn't get a read. I mean, obviously she's not, you know, she's not really a major character. She's not played by a major actress. So you got to tell that, like, there's really not much there that's to be, like, thought about. But I just found myself so fascinated by her because, like, she just seems like, I guess she's, like, more of a symbol, like, more of a concept than a real character. Yeah, I think she's more meant to simply be a foil for yeah. Kate, like to to be kind of the opposite of everything that Kate is at the beginning of the film. And I don't think they put a lot of thought <laughs> into Juliet's character other than like, find me a, a hot girl with an accent. Like that's, that's really yeah. <laughs> all the movie is interested in. Uh, and I think it's interesting. They put more work into other supporting characters like Jean Renault's yeah, character, yeah. Uh, the the police inspector. And I like I like that relationship, too, how he's. You know, in some ways, kind of like uh, a little bit of a father figure for Luke, like he's constantly kind of looking out for him and trying to, like, protect himself. And again, they put that very clearly in the dialogue when he's in the car with, you know, the inspector and his kids and saying, like, oh, why are you looking through his stuff? Like, the same reason I look through your room at night to protect you from yourself. Like, it is very much – it's putting it right out there. Uh, But I like that relationship, too, and I like how everything with the necklace kind of wraps up. Right. Yeah. Uh, on, on a couple levels, when you have Meg Ryan helping out, you have Kate helping Luke, you know, so he doesn't get arrested and she comes back with less money than it would have been. And I love that moment because initially, initially Luke is very upset by this. Like, how could they give you, you know, this amount of money? And you're expecting this to be this big breakup moment, right? Before they get back together. And instead he stops himself and says, well, we can, you know, it'll take longer for me to get my first bottle, but it's okay. And it's a really nice moment mm-hmm. where he stops his emotion and he stops all his rage and anger at everything and how the world is unfair and just realizes that this woman did a favor for right. him. And she did the right thing, even though he doesn't realize how much of the right thing and how much of a favor that she's and done sacrifice. at this point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he, you know, and he accepts it. And it would have been very easy to be the stereotypical kind of alpha male and just be angry right, at that yeah. moment. I mean, he's a great character. I mean, they're both so, like, they complement each other so well. Um, mm-hmm. I like that the necklace kind of wraps up in that kind of way because, like, 
I don't know. I didn't need like, like the chase scene between him and the cops or like, something like, something oh, like please, dumb like no. that. Like I think that would just been too like I don't know bizarre and out of place for this such a like even though it's like a high concept. There's like you know smuggling and whatever, but like it's just such a like simple sweet movie. Like something I kind of like that it kind of wrapped up in this way. And like I always liked Jewel Thief movies where like the like the the cop and like the thief are like gentlemen rivals, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like yep. they have this like mutual re- respect and understanding. So it's they're not that like hostile to each other. So I, I like this relationship right. a lot as well. Yeah, and there's like there's a really quick chase scene earlier in the movie. So you kind of, you know, you kind of get that yeah, like, you yeah. know, Luke is crafty and he he can escape. And I liked that they didn't up the ante here, but instead they chose to up the ante emotionally as opposed to physically absolutely yeah that's true um okay one thing that i found really weird about this movie is like katie's like very anti-france um like she's so like rude to the concierge (laughs) but like i was thinking like in the 90s like it was like kind of cool to like think of france as like this like a really weird place here in america or at least here in the north in the north in north america and so no, yeah, definitely. I think there was – I mean, I think there's still a little bit of that now, but back in the mid-90s, it was just kind of accepted that, well, all French people are rude. Yeah. So that moment that you're talking about, I don't think – and it's interesting that you read it that way, that she was so rude to the concierge. Because for me, uh, probably because I had seen it when it first came out, I was like, yeah, that guy's such a jerk. I hate that well, guy. Is, Go make like, Ryan. I'm also very, um, <laughs> very sensitive towards people who work in the service industry where I'm like, if, like if I were her and like, in this concierge just like give me kind of sass, I would just kind of accept it because I'm like, you know, he, you know, he's it's his job to like, I don't know, deal sure. with annoying people all day long. But, like but the emotions, the emotions are also so heightened, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Like if, her life is falling apart. Yeah. It's like the man she loved is cheating on her. Like it's it's a lot, and this guy is. I mean, sassy is a gentle way <laughs> to put what this concierge is like. So I think there's there's a certain amount of American uh, rage in this moment. Yeah. yeah, entitlement too, absolutely. Where it's just like, yeah, you get him, you you tell him what's what. Um, and she's not I think, Canadian in that scene. <laughs> no, she's very American in that scene, absolutely. And I think it's uh, it's more enjoyable when she kind of. When she comes back again and kind of is a little bit more empowered and yeah. it's not just her like screeching, just that kind of like, how do you do that? How do you say the words that come in your mouth and mean something totally different? Like, I love that interaction. That stuff really works where she's not so much a victim. Yeah. But I think watching it in 2019, like if this exact scene happened in a movie in 2019, it might be read a little bit differently than in 1995. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, this movie does take place in France primarily, and, like, uh, um, it takes place in, like, such, like, beautiful locations, like Cannes, and, um, the, okay, I'm gonna try to pronounce this, I'm trying to read it from Wikipedia, uh, (laughs) Provence, Alpes, Côte d'Azur, region? Yeah. Good enough for me. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't speak French. I never would have known based on that pronunciation. I, mean, <laughs> I assumed you were a fluent speaker. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually like you know trying to get my French residency, but like, I'm stuck here in America. Um, no, but like this movie was shot by um, Owen Roisman, who is like a, a very like prolific uh, cinematographer. Um, like he's famous for movies like French Connection, The Exorcist, Network, Tootsie. 
Um, wow. Three Days of the Condor, The Addams Family, Grand Canyon, um, which is another Lawrence Kasdan film. So, like, he's but I like, think Kevin Klein is in that too, if I'm yeah, remembering. Yeah, right. well, so, I feel like yeah. Kevin Klein and Lawrence Kasdan work together a lot. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think that's correct. Um, yeah. But I like this movie looked really beautiful. And then when I looked up who the cinematographer was, I was like, oh yeah, it makes sense. He's like famous and like has done so yeah. many like great looking films. It's really interesting watching this. I because I kept I didn't you know I do no research for podcasting because I can't be bothered. <laughs> but I was noticing as I was watching, like wow, this is really beautiful. Uh, especially of course, there's all these shots of the countryside when they're on this train, yeah. and it feels a little bit like oh, you just really wanted to shoot in France. And now that I know who shot it, I'm like oh, this makes sense because a lot of say what you will about romantic comedies, I love them, but there's a certain disrespect yeah. given. To rom-coms, uh, whether it be like, oh, these directors aren't like auteurs or they're not shot particularly well. It's more about the, you know, the script and the emotion and the back and forth. So it's nice to see a romantic comedy that's very, very professionally shot by a prolific uh, cinematographer. That's good. Well, Lawrence Kasdan did say that he made this film to be a working vacation for he and his family hey. um, in France. So, like, there is some truth to that where he probably just – I'm sure he – chose a script because it you know shot in like a really beautiful place where you could hang out with his family but like hey it's just good work if you can get it I mean, like honestly, if you look at the last like three movies he did before this you have grand canyon the bodyguard white herb so I, I get it like i feel like the <laughs> yeah. well the bodyguard he didn't direct i'm sorry but like last couple movies he'd done before this seemed very stressful so i can imagine him like wanting to have like plus you know he like basically invented star wars so yeah, you know, he gets he gets that lifetime nerd yeah, pass, like I guess. Do but it's like I I have no problem with actors or directors uh choosing to do films in these exotic locales yeah. where you can have a nice vacation because there's a way to do it proof here. There's a way to do it and still make an enjoyable good yeah. movie. Like you know, I could look at it negatively if, like, you did a vacation movie and it's like, and also it's terrible. Like, this is n- everyone aboard this movie knew it was terrible. Like, this is the kind of Michael Caine doing a, a Jaws sequel because he really wanted, you know, to pay for his house and to go on a nice vacation and he knew it was a bad movie. Whereas the people involved here seem to really care. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they know, they know they're making a good romantic comedy. So they could shoot it wherever yeah, they you're want. Right. There's a huge difference between a movie like this. And, like, Adam Sandler going to, like, Africa and Hawaii and wherever else yes. is, like, France. Thank you. Um, there's a huge difference here. And, like, I mean, the mm-hmm. um, the guy who wrote French Kiss, um, Adam Brooks, like, he has done some pretty good films as well. Um, he did Definitely Maybe, which is a movie I really like, with Ron Reynolds. Yeah, he wrote Practical Magic and mm-hmm. Beloved. Um Oh, and uh, wow. uh, Wimbledon he wrote as well. Bridget Jones, mm-hmm. The Edge of Reason, which isn't a good movie, but like, I mean, it's fine. But like, he's like done some good work. <laughs> so like, this movie has like a lot going for it. I mean, the score um, was written by James Newton Howard, so like, mm-hmm. there's just a lot going on. It paid off. I mean, this movie actually made a lot of money. It made over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Wow, so, really? That's great. And like, that I think a lot so of that is like Meg Ryan. Like, she just <laughs> attracts an audience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially at this time in the early to mid-90s, if you said romantic comedy with Meg Ryan, that's all people needed to hear. Yeah, I mean, there's... Like, they were there like, opening day. opening weekend, just right there. Yep. 
Yep. And then, um, yeah, I mean, this movie is, yeah, I'm really so, so glad that you picked it. And did I tell you about the, the Hindi language? version of this movie yeah you did i'm still looking for a copy that actually has uh english subtitles yeah Yeah. i don't know there's like it's not that easy to find because like i even i had to watch it a couple years ago like on youtube without subtitles and like i can understand hindi well enough but like it's you know i prefer to have (laughs) subtitles but it's a really good movie it's a pretty like faithful adaptation um i mean adaptation is being generous because i think it's probably just a ripoff That's okay. I have no problem with that. I would absolutely watch that. Yeah, I just looked it up on IMDb, and I won't pronounce it because I do not want to butcher a language that you know. Um, But it's like it's two and a half hours long. Yeah. (laughs) Of course it is. They're like songs. (laughs) Like that adds time. Oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. That probably adds a good twenty minutes at least. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie. It's actually like a really underrated, you know, Indian, you know, romance film. It was a pretty quick turnaround too. It came out in 1998, yeah, so just a couple well, years later. Movie, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this movie's a like big hit. And like, honestly, like as I was watching, I was I can totally see some like Indian like writer producer being like, <laughs> this movie can translate pretty well to like Bollywood because it has a lot of like, it has like a really good story. It has like really interesting characters and like a, a lot of like opportunities for like musical numbers and like beautiful locations mm-hmm. and. I, yeah, if you can find it, I, I recommend watching it. But, uh, I mean, French Kiss on its own, it's a great movie. Um, I Do you have anything else you wanted to bring up before we finish up? I would, I just want to urge people, like, if you hear, like, oh, it's a romantic comedy with Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein and he has a ridiculous French accent. Like, I could understand hearing that in 2019 and being like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll watch that. But I would urge you to give it a shot. Uh, find it streaming somewhere or be uh, a philistine like me and actually own it on physical media it is well worth your time and it is just light and wonderful but still has some you know real real thematic stuff here that's actually really interesting to watch and actually uh one of the the few light movies like this that for me gets better on rewatch so go out and see it if you haven't already it doesn't matter if we spoiled it because it's a romantic comedy you know what's going to happen you know who's going to end up together the journey is really important specifically in this movie yes 100 percent cosign and i recommend it highly I, I think that's a movie that i'll probably like watch again very soon because it just i found it so like pleasant and yes it's a great background movie too. Yeah, it's just like, and it's, it's very nice. It's like really funny. <laughs> like I like yes. laughing at like, like I know romantic comedies are supposed to be funny, but like sometimes they're more like romantic than funny, or like they're more like, like clever than funny. Like this one, yes. I found to be like laugh out loud <laughs> funny, especially like a lot of like Meg Ryan's like pratfalls and just like her like general neurotic. Like I just like love how she plays these like uptight characters. Um, yeah. Because she's just, like, so good at it. Because she's not only good at being uptight and, like, neurotic, but, like, she's good. Like, when she's also, like, as she's, like, slowly, like, shedding that and becoming more, like, free and, like, carefree. Like, she's really good at that mm-hmm. transition, which is, I think, a lot harder than yes. people think. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think she might be more neurotic in this than in most of her other romantic comedies. So there is a there's a lot of work to do. Uh, yeah. Some of it that ends in some uh, gastric distress. Oh, my God. Uh, because cause she eats a pound of cheese and she really, really shouldn't. Uh, so, yeah, she really goes all out in 
physically in ways that maybe you don't see much from her, yeah. um, where usually her neuroses is more just like, I'm going to work this out with words. And in this, it's like there's a lot of physicality involved and it's a little yeah, bit different. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, great movie. Thanks you so much for picking it. I had a great time watching it and talking about it with you. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, well, I am online too much. Um, but you, you can certainly find me, of course, on Twitter. I have actually just recently started my own podcast, uh, with my friend Mike. It's called a podcast directed by. We are at directed by pod on Twitter. And basically what we do is every month we choose a director and we kind of go through as much of their catalog as we can, uh, and kind of talk about you know, usually their 10 most important movies and then decide what their masterpiece is. And we just started this month. Um, so we are in the midst of a Sofia Coppola rewatch. Uh, we actually have two or three episodes out already. So if you would mind, please go find us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever and just look up a podcast directed by and subscribe and enjoy. Um, I have. I mean, you also have the grand gesture, right? I haven't seen a new episode from that in a while. Is that, yeah, is that on that's, hiatus? <laughs> that's it's. Uh, that is a question to ask Mike, who you can find at War Machine Horse, which <laughs> is a reference to his other podcast. Because uh, that's that's his baby. Uh, I'm on there every once in a while. It started off just us doing it, and then I like a jerk uh, started a romantic pod- comedy podcast and then immediately got divorced. Uh, so it got a little weird. It got a little dark. Uh, so I'm on there sometimes. Oh, Other sorry. guests are I on there sometimes. Out. I just wanted to give a shout out to that. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> People should definitely still listen yeah, to that show and you can follow that at Grand Gesture Pod. Um, yeah, you can yeah, find me online at the yeah, Mish 89 cool. Also, Please follow this podcast on Twitter and Letterboxd, and please look out for um, the Talk and Study Patreon content. I have my miniseries on Matthew McConaughey, um, still going on strong when this comes out, so uh, you should look out for that because it's a lot of fun. Um, so look out for that because if you love listening to Dave like I do, then you should subscribe to Patreon and download that. It's just podcast, it's great. I just Listen to the translation episode today. Wonderful, I dream of you. Chips, chips. Do 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 do, chip, chip, chip. Do 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 do, chip, chip.